extra outlines if you need one. We're going to be finishing the message today. Anyone needs one? I have a couple extra. So we got done early last week. It's about 20 till, so I got a lot of old rollover minutes, but we're not going to use them. Probably get done early again today. So let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness. We're just so thankful, Lord, for the lessons from Scripture. Even though we're looking at a difficult passage, passage that shows the depravity of man, how love can turn into lusts, turn to hatred and anger and bitterness. And we just pray, Lord, that we'll learn some valuable principles from this passage, Father. And I just pray, Lord, you work in all of our lives. We're all tempted. We all have desires that are unlawful and desires that are not biblical, Lord. And not necessarily immoral lusts. It could be other lusts for materialism, things, whatever it may be, Lord. Just help me, Lord, as we deal with these issues this morning. Fill me with your spirit. Fill us all with your spirit, Lord, to understand your word and to apply it to our lives. And we do thank you for our salvation, Lord. We do ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's review what we talked about before. The story of a man who was walking across the grass, and there's clumps of grass and mud. And so he was carefully placing his feet on the grass so he wouldn't get his feet muddy. This little girl, about four or five, was following behind him, placing her footsteps, same place her father did. And she said, Daddy, if you don't get any mud on your feet, I won't get any mud on my feet. Sad thing is, sometimes we step in the mud. Sin. And sad, even sadder, our children step in the same mud puddles that we step in. The same sins we commit, our children do. And many times we would wish to God they would not make the same mistakes we do, right? Pray they don't follow in our footsteps, especially the bad footsteps. And here we see David's sons are following in his own footsteps. Footsteps of deceit, murder, immorality. If you think about it, those are three things we never want to see in our children. Deceit, immorality, murder, right? Maybe it'll put up with other sins, but those things would happen in our children's lives? That'd be devastating. And it happens in David's life. The first ten chapters of first or Second Samuel talk about the good things David did. But 11 and 12 happen when David commits adultery, he commits murder, and he is deceitful. And for the rest of the book of 2 Samuel, it talks about the problems he has with his children. Because chapter 12, verse 10, God told David, you're going to be judged for your sins. And one of the sins is that the sword will never depart from your family. Your children have to pay a high price for your sin, David. We looked at the assault of Tamar in chapter 13, verses 1 through 19. Amon's desire for Tamar. He had a high regard for her. It says that he loved her. Now, Tamar was Absalom's sister. They were very beautiful, Scripture says. Amon was David's firstborn son by another woman. He was an heir to the throne. But he loved Tamar so much that he became sick over it. The word says that he was frustrated. That means to be tied up in emotional knots. It means that he uh, just focused upon her. He just thought about her night and day, lustful thoughts. He wanted to be with Tamar. 
said he loved her. So he had high regard for her, and that's all he thought about. The only problem was that they were brothers and sisters, even though half brothers and sisters, and the law says you still couldn't marry. So he had a recommendation from a friend called John Adab, and John Adab is kind of a friend you don't want. He was a cousin. Says he was shrewd, but he was shrewd in worldly wisdom. James describes that in chapter 3, verse 15, as being worldly and demonic. And he gave Ammon some advice. Pretend you're sick and have your sister come feed you some food and then do whatever you want to do to her. He should have been counseling her to avoid these lustful thoughts, but he doesn't. So he encourages her to go on, or encourages him to go along with his sinful desires. And we talked about how we should have wisdom concerning the friends we have. Then we see the request for Tamar. Amon asked David to send his sister, his, his sister and David's daughter to come feed him. Virgins from the, in the palace were kept off in a separate place. They wore special clothing and they were kept away from other people. So he asked David if he could lift the rules and let Tamar come and feed him. So she does. And, but then he starts doing things that are kind of peculiar. First of all, he refuses to eat. Then he sends out all the servants and tells her to come feed him in his bedroom chamber. And that caused all kinds of problems. We saw that he defiled Tamar. First of all, his actions were sinful. And at first, Tamar refused. He says, you can't do this, brother. She tried to reason with Tamar or with Ammon. And you can't reason with sinful people. Remember Joseph? What did Joseph do? He ran away. Tamar's trying to or reason with him. So you can't do this. Then she said, you know, but ask your... I'll ask my dad here, and he'll marry us. But as we said before, they couldn't get married anyhow. So instead of running away and fleeing useful lusts, as we're told in 2 Timothy 2.22, she stays there, and she gets assaulted. She gets raped. Amon gets what he wants. He thought about it. He fantasized about it. It finally becomes reality. But then his belief changes. He starts to hate her. See, our belief always leads to bad behavior. Bad beliefs do. David's continuing to reap the harvest of his children. Amos following exact same footsteps David did. Deceitfulness and immorality. We saw also Amos' shameful attitude. We see the rejection of Tamar, and the rejection led to hate. He used to love her, now he hates her. He wanted nothing to do with her. And the thing here is that a lot of times we think we love something, and reality is just lust. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talks about love is kind, love is patient, love is gentle. Lust is the opposite of all those things. Amon didn't love Tamar, he lusted after her. Amon gets what he wants, but notice it doesn't satisfy him. Now he hates her. He wants nothing to do with her. And usually that's what happens. Many men respond like that. When they get what they want, then they dump the girl like a piece of garbage. That's happened to all. You made old people, that's happened to. We see not only the hate, but we saw the haste. He kicks her out. He says, throw this woman out. Doesn't even call her by name. And in verse 17, the word does not occur there in the Hebrew. So it literally means throw this thing out. And lock the door behind her. He hates her so much he doesn't even call her by name anymore. He just kicks her out. And sadly, that's what happens in many relationships in America today. 
Man, boy gets what he wants, and he kicks the girl out. Then we see the humiliation in verse 19. She puts dust upon her head. She tears her clothes because she knows she can never wear those clothes again because she's no longer a virgin. She feels like dirt. She feels like garbage. She just got kicked out. Where is she going to go? She can't go back to the palace. Ammon doesn't want her. She can't stay there. The law said if a man raped a woman, he had to pay the father restitution, and he had to marry the girl, and he could never divorce her. And Abner wasn't going to do that. There's only one refuge for Tamar, that was her brother Absalom. Absalom takes her in, and the first thing he says, have you been with Ammon? So he knew Ammon. He knew Ammon's lustful thoughts towards his sister. The first thing he does, he sees her in her state crying and being clothes tore up. He automatically jumps to the conclusion, Amon did it. And he was right. So he says, don't worry about it. He's your brother. I can't deal with him like with some other man. Just come live with me and I'll take care of you. And right there, the wheels are turning for Absalom to get back at Amon. He's biding his time, waiting for the exact opportunity to get his revenge. And that is as far as we've gotten, Right? Let's look at number two, avenging of Tamar. Here we see the malice. Look at verse 21 of chapter 13 there. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. So we see the anger first. David's angry. He's upset. That word means very, means heated anger, burning anger. He was upset over what Amon had done, but he does nothing. Doesn't confront him, doesn't say, What have you been doing? He doesn't do nothing. But think about what could David do? He did the same thing. How can he reprove his son for deceitfulness and immorality when he wasn't guilty of the same thing? Plus, you know, how he couldn't kill his son, you know. After all, he's his son, he's heir to the kingdom. I can't discipline him. So David does nothing. His memory of his own sinful sins shut his mouth, one commentator said. How could he punish the firstborn son and the heir to the throne? See, he sees himself and his son. He sees his son following his own footsteps. His own muddy footprints. He sees Amon doing the exact same thing. So David here is committing these crimes. He didn't raise his children the way he should have. And it's hard to discipline our children for the exact same things we do. My dad always told us, with a cigarette hanging from his mouth and a beer can in his hand, I don't ever catch you kids smoking and drinking. Guess what my brother did all the time? Smoking and drinking. Once he was outside drinking on the front porch, we had a little bed, and he fell asleep with a cigarette and caught the mattress on fire. Almost burnt the house down, dummy. I never had a desire to smoke or drink. It all tasted awful to me, so it didn't bother me. I wasn't going to do that stuff. It tasted awful. Beer tasted awful. Cigarettes tasted awful. Why would I want to waste my money on... So I never did. But everybody else in my family did. Just about all of them died of alcoholism. So here, my dad's children are following in his footprints. And that happens so often. David should have raised his children right. So we see the anger. And we also see another kind of anger in Absalom. But David does nothing about it, but Absalom has a plan. Look at the animosity here in verse 22. But Absalom, see that but? David was angry, but he did nothing. Absalom is angry, and he's going to do something about it. But Absalom did not speak to Ammon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Ammon, 
because he had violated his sister Tamar. He just hated Ammon, but never talked to him. He says nothing, good or bad. There's no confrontation, no rebuke. He pretends as if nothing happened. He is simply biding his time for the right opportunity to get his revenge. You see, his anger is turning into bitterness. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. When we don't take care of our anger, it turns to bitterness. That's when we lay awake at night thinking about how we can get back at these people we hate. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. This is why it says in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Take care of your anger before you go to bed. Because if you don't, when you're laying in bed at night, you can't go to sleep, you're going to be thinking about your anger, how you hate that person. Look at chapter 12, verse 15. See to that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Root of bitterness was springing up in the life of Absalom. He was planning and scheming to get back at his brother. And the longer bitterness stews, the longer it becomes stronger and becomes reality. The scripture tells us, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Take care of your anger before you go to bed. You're mad at your wife, you take care of it before you go to bed. Don't go sleep in another room. You take care of it before you go to bed. You're mad at your children, you go see them before you go to bed. You're mad at your mom and dad, you go see them before you go to bed. Don't let anger take root in your life because it becomes bitterness. That's what scripture says. Take care of it then. Take care of it now. So we see the malice turns to murder. Look at the resolve or determination Absalom has. Start reading at verse 23. Go back to 2 Samuel. Look at verse 23. Now it came by after two full years. Two years. Absalom stools about this for two whole years, it says. That Absalom had sheep shares in Balhazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servants have sheep shares. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Ammon and all the son, king's son go with him. So for two years, his anger is growing. He comes up with a plan to get rid of Ammon. Since David's not going to do anything, I got to, Absalom says to himself. So it's sheep sharing time, a time of festivity and joy. He invites the whole family to come for a big barbecue at his ranch. Invites everybody. Invites David, but David says, I can't come. You're going to be a burden some to you. I'll be a burden. The King James has that word chargeable there. Well, that means to be a heavy burden. David says, if you're going to invite the whole family... I'll just be a big burden because I have to bring all my bodyguards, I have to bring all my soldiers, I've got to bring my whole entourage. It's going to be a really big burden for you. It's going to be a great, great big expense. I don't want you to have that son, so I'll, I'll just stay home. So Absalom says, sure, but can Ammon come? And David's probably wondering, why does Ammon need to be there? You know, remember? Ammon talked to David, talked David into sending his sister, you know, Tamar, to him. David should have said no, but he says okay. Here he should have said no again, but David said okay. 
See, David didn't know his children. A lot of times parents don't know what their children are doing on the internet, who they're talking to on their phones. How many times have you heard of children committing suicide because of cyberbullyism? Parents need to know their children. What's going on in their bedrooms? David had no idea what was going on in the lives of his children. Everybody else did. And David says, sure. The word urge means to pressure. means he badgered David. And you know what happens when you get badgered? You give in. That's right. After you're badgered so long, you give in. David gives in. Notice the revenge here in verse 28. And Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See thou, when Ammon's heart is merry with wine, when I say to you, Strike Ammon, then put him to death. Do not fear, have I not myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did to Ammon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, each mounted his mule, and fled. Here we see the revenge or retribution. Remember what God's judgment about David was the throne, where Saul would never leave his throne? Well, it's starting to be fulfilled now. The sons are going to start dying one by one. Bitterness leads to revenge. What does Romans 12 tell us about revenge? Vengeance belongs to who? The Lord. I will repay, saith the Lord. Let him take care of it. Someone's wronged you and mistreated you. You don't seek revenge. You let the Lord take care of it. David told us that was three t- twice. He could have killed Saul, right? And he didn't. Absalom is so consumed with anger, it just cl- clouds his judgment. What does he tell his servants? Be courageous and valiant. Aren't those good qualities? But he says, use these good qualities to murder someone. See, his mind is so confused. He distorts his reasoning. Be brave and courageous and go ahead and kill this, murder this man. It's okay, I'll take care of it. There's nothing brave or courageous about murdering someone. And think about this. In bitterness, people end up doing things they never thought they'd do. How many times do people get mad and upset and they kill someone? You never think. And he talks to their next door neighbor. What does his neighbor say? He was the nicest neighbor in the world. I never thought he would have murdered his family. You have no idea what's going through the mind of your neighbor. So he gets his servants to kill Amon. And when we get angry with people and we tell our friends, they tend to take up the same offense that we have. I remember years ago someone came to me. His son was mistreated where he was at. And he came, he told me all about it. I didn't know his son. I didn't know where he worked at. I knew nothing about the mistreatment he was getting. But why was this person telling me that? He wanted me to get him on his side, to be angry at the place that abused his brother, then treated his, his son right. See, we do that, don't we? You know how so-and-so treated me? They treated me really bad. You don't even know the people. And this is what Absalom's doing. He wants others to be on his side. And is David reaping what he had sown? Well, think about it. David's deceitful. Absalom's deceitful. David plans cold-blooded murder. Absalom plans cold-blooded murder. 
David gets someone else to do the murdering for him. So does Absalom. See these footprints? These muddy footprints are tracking up the palace all over the place. So Absalom gets his revenge. Do you think he felt any better? No. Same way Ammon didn't feel any better after he got what he wanted. Absalom doesn't feel any better either. Notice the mourning. The remorse in verse 30. Now while it was now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons and not one of them is left. The king's rose tore his clothes and lay on the ground and all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. We'll stop there. Notice the remorse. First of all, the agonizing announcement. News travels fast. Fake news. That's in the news, right? Fake news? Well, this is fake news. David gets word, all your sons have been murdered and Absalom did it. Wow. What does David do? That must have punched him in the gut. Just think about it. Someone comes and tells you your whole family's been killed and one of your sons did it. David's laying on the ground. He's in grief. Many things. Wow. Terrible. It doesn't happen in the news all the time. Someone gets shot and the news reports some white conservative did it? How many times have you seen that happen? And the person wasn't white and he wasn't a conservative, but that's always we hear. Something bad. You know, this shooting just happens a couple hours ago and the news is telling us what's going on. No one knows what's going on. And here David has no idea what's going on. The shock he has. Everyone's dead. And Absalom did it. But we see the amended message here in verse 32. But notice who delivers the information here. And Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, responded, Do you know that my lord supposed they had been put to death, all the young men, the king's sons? Ammon alone is dead because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since that day when he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, Namely, all the king's sons are dead, for only Ammon is dead. You notice who gives the message? It's Jonadab. Remember who Jonadab was? He's the one who gave Ammon the advice to trick his sister to come into his bedroom. Who started this whole thing? Jonadab did. He was a ringleader. And notice what he says there. Because of the last part of verse 32, because by the intent of Absalom, this has been determined since the day he violated Sister Tamar. John Dab knew what was going to happen. He knew Absalom was planning to get, take care of Amon and kill him. He says, All this is because of what Tamar, or Amon did to Tamar. But you think if he knew that, he would have warned somebody? I mean, you think he would have gone and told the king or taught, told Amon? Absalom wants to kill you. Better not go to this picnic. So he's man, Jonadab, shrewd. He's also a very man, a very weak character. But notice the relief now in verse 34. The arrival of the sons. All this bad news isn't quite as bad as he thought. Now Absalom had fled. And the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him, <coughs> excuse me, by the side of the mountain. 
And John said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come according to your servant's word. So it happened. And it came about as soon as he had finished speaking, that behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. While Absalom's running, David's sons arrive. And can you imagine the reunion? A bittersweet reunion? Here David thought he lost everybody. All his sons come back except for Ammon and Absalom. One commentator says it was a frantic, frustrating family reunion. Because they're all grieving over the death of Ammon. Wow. But we see the absence of Absalom, he runs away. Verse 37. Now Absalom fled and went to Tamiah, the son of Amhud, the king of Geshur. That was his grandfather, by the way. That's who he goes home to, runs to his grandfather. And David mourned for his sons every day. So Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there for three years. Now think about that. Five years is going to transpire in this whole event. Two years for him planning, now three years for him waiting to come back. So Absalom runs away. What does this show us? A sin puts people on the run. Absalom should have stayed and faced the music, but he didn't. He runs away, goes to Grandpa. Isn't facing Grandpa a lot easier than facing Dad? It's less for me. Go see Grandpa. He'll take care of you. Think about other people who ran because of their sin. Think of Achan. Remember his sin? Don't take any of the stuff from Jericho. He does. He runs. He tries to hide it. But the Lord revealed it. Remember Rose tried to run? Jonah? Jonah tried to run from God? And God called him back. Remember Judas? He thought a 30 pieces of silver would make him happy. But it didn't. See, sin never turns out to what we think it's going to be, does it? We see these commercials about drinking and all these other things and all the fun everybody's having, all the good times. But you don't see the commercials afterwards, right? When they're drunk, when they're sick. When their kidneys fail. Ever see a person when their kidneys fail or when their liver falls out because of alcohol? It happened to my brother Scott. He's died when he's 34 years old because of liver failure, because he drank his whole life. You should have seen him. Puffy, yellow skin. Didn't even recognize him. Sin seems glamorous. But what's the result of sin? We always run away. People always try to run from it. But as David's learning, sin catches up, doesn't it? Let's talk about the application. David was reigning over Israel, but sin and death was reigning over David's family. David's going to have a lot more to pay for. This is just the first round. When we come back from the holidays, we're going to be talking about Absalom's rebellion. David's forgiven. David has been given for his sins, but it's consequences are always painful. So the best, best thing to do is avoid sin. Avoid lust. Teach our sons and grandsons to respect women and to honor them. Teach our daughters and granddaughters to dress modestly and respect everyone else and, and be aware of the situations. We need to teach our children and grandchildren that. 
very important. Look at Jeremiah 2.19. Jeremiah chapter 2.19. These are sobering words. It says, your own wickedness will correct you. And your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. When we, when we sin, God's not just going to wink a blind eye as grandparents do. His grandparents do that, right? All your grandparents, isn't that true? Mom and dad's disciplining the kid and he's saying, oh, come on, you don't got to do that. Sure they do. I'm looking forward to it, by the way. But think about it. Know therefore see that as evil is bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God. Better to be Joseph and run away than try to reason with sin. And we're all confronted with sin every day. Every day we're confronted. We're talking about driving cars. A lot of times we have problems with driving cars. Just go outside, drive a car around the mall today. Or try to go shopping today. You know, we get angry, we get bitter, we get upset. Look at Malachi chapter 2. Another warning we give, forget. Malachi chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And now this commandment is for you, O priests, even though it applies, interpretation is for priests, it applies to us. If you not listen, if you not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings and indeed I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. The priests weren't doing the right thing with offering sacrifices and all that and God says you're going to have to pay for it. Sin's coming. These are warnings to us. We see four things about these tragic events in 2 Samuel chapter 13. It all corresponds to what we're told in James chapter 1. So let's turn to James chapter 1. We all know these verses. We talked about them a couple weeks ago. About deceit and lust and temptation. Verse 14. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See four things here. Number one, it's like a spiral that quickly unravels. It's like a roll of toilet paper. It rolls down the steps, and you try to roll it back up. Does it ever roll back up right? No. You try to do that right? You try to pat it down, you know, but it's always messed up. Always. That's how it is. Sin starts unraveling, and you can never roll it back up right. You never put it back. Love turns to lust. We saw that with Amen. His love turned to lust. Secondly, from lust to hatred. Now he hates this woman, who he loved compassionately. Then hatred leads to what? Death and murder. And what does a murder lead to? Exile, running away. Isn't that illustrated here in James? You know, our lusts, our desires... Give over to sin, and sin gives, comes over to death. 
And the result is we try to run away from God. Now think about Satan has these lies about sin. You know, sin is liberating. No, it's, it's limiting. Right? You can do what you want to do. You're free. After all, we're on the age of grace, right? We're not under the law anymore. Do whatever you want to do. There's 1 John 1 9. Or sin is interesting. And reality is incarcerating. How many people now have lung cancer, have all kinds of problems because of drinking and drugs? I bet if they had waited, they would have changed it. But you can't go back. You can't change 30 years of drinking. You can't change 20, 30 years of drug taking. Sin leads to fulfillment when it actually leads to frustration and failure. There's no fulfillment there. Amon got what he wanted, but you know what? It wasn't. Absalom got what he wanted, but you know, it wasn't. We think we're going to get what we want when it doesn't. If I can only buy this thing, it would make me happy. How many times have you bought that thing and then something new comes out and you've got to buy that thing? How many computers have you owned in your lifetime? How many TVs have you owned in your lifetime? Different ones I'm talking about. How many different phones have you owned in your lifetime? Chuck remembers the time there wasn't any phones. Right, Chuck? There you go. Chuck's seen the evolution of no phones to phones and do everything. How many times have we bought new phones in our lifetime? Think about it. The cups, yeah. Think about it. One person said this, sin is destructive. It's conductive, which means it gets worse. It's obstructive in our walk with God. And it's unproductive because we no longer have the desire to serve God. For the unbeliever, sin just leads to death which is bad enough. But for the believer, it's destructive. It starts to destroy our lives, physically and spiritually. It's conductive. just gets worse. Because we want more. It obstructs our walk with God. And it would lead unproductive lives for Christ. There's why so many Christians in the world that don't go to church anymore, don't serve God anymore. Why? Because it's sin in their lives, I think. You need to realize you can't run from God. Let's go back to Samuel. Time is a healer. But it still doesn't take away the consequences of our sins. Look at verses 38 and 39 of 2 Samuel 13. So Absalom fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. And the heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom. For he was comforting concerning Ammon since he was dead. David still loved Absalom. He wished he could get together. You know what this reminds me of? And I'll probably talk more about this when we start talking about David and Absalom. Is, is the prodigal son in the book of Luke. Remember that story? The son says, I want my inheritance. I want it now. His dad gives it to him. He goes and wastes it all on sinful living. And he comes to his senses and he says, you know, servants are better off in my father's house than what I am being a pig slopper. So I'm going to go back, fall on my knees to my dad, and beg him to take me back. You know what? He doesn't even get a chance to fall on his knees and beg God, beg his father. What is his father? He receives him with open arms. And doesn't it illustrate God our father? God wants us to come back. Are you on the run from God today? Is there some sin in your life that needs to be dealt with? You figure, I can hide my sin? 
which we can't hide anything from God, right? We're so naive to think, yeah, I can hide my sin. Oh, God knows what's going on. Are you running away? Great thing is we can always come back. And you know how God will accept us? Open arms. We need to confess our sins, forsake it, and God forgives us. That's how simple it is. But it shows, it takes years. Three years David waits. Three years is a long time. Don't waste time. Time's too short. I'm 61. I realize time is getting short. I never thought I'd get to be 61. You know when you're 20, you never think you're going to be 60? And here I am 60. Some of you are in 70s and 80s. How much time you got left? We don't know. Let's not waste these years running from God. God can always use us. Which shows how powerful lust is in our life. Because when we confess our sins and forsake it, you know what? A new one pops up. It seems like it, doesn't it? And we've got to take care of this lust in our lives for whatever it is, not just immorality. Like I said, it could be materialism, desire for things. I just got Jeffrey's Christmas list. Took all two old text pages to fill it up. I made all these things I want. Sam, why don't you tell me a month ago? I got a week left. <laughs> Listen, right? We always want more. Always want something. Because we have these lustful, we think this stuff's going to make us happy. There's a story about this man. He was, a, he was a duke in Belgium. I've told you this story before, so it may sound familiar. His name is Reynald III. He was a duke in Belgium. And he had a brother, Edward, who wanted the throne. So he overthrows Reynald. And he builds a special room up in one of the towers of the castle. It had no gates. No locked doors, no bars on the windows, but all the doors were not made the normal size, they were just made kind of smaller. Renaud was overweight. He was a big, huge man. They stuck him in this room, they built this room around him. He couldn't get out because he was too big, couldn't fit through the openings. And to keep his brother in his room, Edward would always send a tray full of delicacies. All the food he ever wanted. Cheeseburgers, steak, spaghetti, lasagna, chocolate, and chocolate, and and more chocolate, chocolate peanuts, and chocolate eclairs, and and, and chocolate ice cream, and chocolate triple cake, and and all this food. Every day he was sent all this food and said, Reynold, you can leave whenever you want to. And he was always accused of being cruel to his brother. Edward said, my brother's not a prisoner. He can leave anytime he wants to. But he couldn't because of his lustful desires. Eventually, Edmund died, and they released Renald. He died within a year. It says he was a prisoner of his own appetite. That describes a lot of people in the world today. They're prisoners of their own appetite, wherever the appetite might be, whether it's sex, drugs, money, whatever. Sad thing is, a lot of Christians are prisoners of their own appetites as well. What are you a prisoner of? What's your appetite? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the example of David and Absalom and Ammon. And, and Lord, we all have lustful desires. 
whatever it might be, I pray, Lord, will not be a desire of our own appetites or a prisoner of our own desires. <coughs> that by simply refusing these temptations, and Lord, you've given us the power to do that. You've filled us with your spirit. You have given us the scriptures. You've given us your Savior who is an interpresser, an intercessor for us, Lord. Prays for us daily. And we have your sovereign control over our life. We have all these things to help us and keep us from falling into sin. Yet Satan is always subtle. He's always like Jonadab, giving us poor advice. Telling us we're worth it. We deserve it. We deserve a break today, no matter what the break is. I just pray, Lord, we'll look over our sinful appetites and realize we have the power to overcome these things. We can, lose, we can leave this room whenever we so desire. I pray, Lord, we'll do just that. I will depend upon the Lord's power to do that. And I pray for those maybe without Christ today that this road to recovery begins with salvation. And if there is a person here, Lord, does not know you as your Savior, that today be the day of salvation for him. Lord, bring us back tonight as we worship you, Lord, in the birth of your Savior in the next coming weeks. We worship you, Lord. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. For the next two weeks, we'll be talking about the hope for the holidays. And then the first week of January, we'll be having communion Sunday mornings on the 7th. So then we'll have a special New Year's Day message as well. And then we'll get back to David probably around the 14th or so of January. So we'll be talking about hope for the holidays for the next two weeks. But let's sing to the Lord. Let's stand. And what are we singing? This is what we need. We need to turn our eyes upon the Lord. Trust in him. We're going to sing it through twice, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and breath. Now let's sing this as a prayer to the Lord. We know the words, right? Let's just close your eyes and, and sing this as a prayer to our Lord and Savior. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. Dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't it true when we think about Jesus? Everything else pales in comparison to what we're going to have in heaven. Please come back tonight. Bring a candle, if you would, please. Then we're going to have a table here. I'm going to put our lighter candles, put them here, have a short, short message, and then we're going down to the parsonage, bring some festive finger foods, if you will, and all of you are invited, so please come and bring some friends and family members, if you will. Chuck, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?
Thank you.
Try this out first. I don't think you gotta unscrew it. I think it just pops out. On the other side. I think so. 